This is Sarah Weymouth, and welcome to my podcast, where we talk about everything for you to live your best life. And we have a little fun too, from talking about business, marriage, parenthood, money, health, home decor, friendship, beauty, and pop culture. I'm a mother to three, a wife, a successful business owner, and I want to live my highest, best self. Follow along as we learn together, grow, teach, because you only get to live one life. Oh, and I promise to dig deeper and to ask the tough questions. This is The Lime Podcast. Okay, so excited to have Emily here. Emily, tell us first and foremost, is there a difference between therapy, counseling, being a psychologist? What is your title? What is your background? Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Generally, there's no difference between a therapist and a counselor. Um, There are different degrees you could get. So my master's is in marriage and family therapy. There are other master's programs in mental health, in licensed professional counseling, in pastoral counseling. Like the list is, is pretty broad, but the licensure Uh, process is different for each one and how many clinical hours and then what kinds of classes and how kind of robust your degree is. Um, And then psychiatrists and psychologists are an even deeper branch. They go to even more school and psychiatrists can prescribe medication and psychologists cannot. And so that's kind of the difference between those. Um, And then you get into the realm of like life coaches or any kind of coaching that is completely separate. There's no regulation or or specific education for that. Um, there are certifications people can take, um, but generally, you could call yourself a life coach today and throw up a website and you yeah. know. So, <laughs> so very, you know, like make sure you're getting what uh, you want and the education behind the person that you are seeking out. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure like the experience and it seems like people will specialize in things for a reason because it can be so broad and complex when you start digging deep into people's traumas or childhood or parenting, marriage, et cetera. Yeah. And then you started ready nest counseling in multiple locations. And then I just also noticed that you also have empty nest counseling for empty nesters, which is so cool. I feel like that's such like an untouched part of parenthood, motherhood, life. And it's funny because when we first started talking on Instagram, I was like, okay, so she does babies, getting pregnant, conceiving, postpartum. That's kind of what I thought at first. And then I was like, oh no, she does all of the things. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about the different branches. How did you start and expand? That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. So Uh, First of all, I'm a mother of four daughters, and so they are my why, you know, they are my reason for wanting to change the landscape of especially maternal mental health and trying to normalize how women's health is approached and and that it's inclusive of mental health and that it's normalized for that. So uh, Ready Nest Counseling, yeah, we we started, gosh, it's uh, back in 2016. Um, I had... Uh, a a really kind of good experience entering into motherhood, but it was because I went to counseling, honestly. And so my husband and I had gone back to our premarital counselor before we even started trying to conceive. 
And we were just like, like, what's this whole parenthood thing about? How is it going to change our lives? What are we in for here? And then it took us a year to get pregnant with our first, which is not long in hindsight, but if anybody has ever wanted to be pregnant, you want to be pregnant yesterday, right? So when you're in it, it was a long journey. And so we were able to kind of utilize that time to just work on our relationship, to work on ourselves. And I think that was a real service to our family um, in the long run. And so then seeing um, how, you know, I struggled with some postpartum depression, but we were able to communicate through it. Um, And then I had started a mommy blog back in the day. I wrote a book about my, my becoming a mother. It's called for all maternity. And then mom started reaching out to me. And so I felt like, gosh, I can speak from my own experience, but I don't really have the credential to touch on like how to help anyone. And so we moved across the country from California to Nashville, Tennessee with two toddlers and no job, (laughs) hopes and dreams. And so I went back to grad school and got my master's in marriage family therapy. And then two weeks after I graduated, we had our third daughter. And then that following year started writing us counseling. And so it was kind of, I give the origin story because it was such an organic need to be able to fill that gap that I wish I had had when I became a mother. And that's the general consensus I hear when people learn about readiness counseling is like, oh my gosh, I wish I knew about that when I became a mother. And so it's really grown out of the need for word of mouth of being able to spread the word that like, this should have always been a thing. This isn't just like, why, why are we doing this now? Oh, finally, you know, it's like, this should have always been a thing. And so we have locations in Nashville and across Tennessee, telehealth, Knoxville and Charleston in South Carolina. And we can do telehealth in um, Florida as well. And so we're really excited to just keep growing and spreading the word and helping all the moms and families transition through all these life stages. Empty nest counseling then kind of came out of, you know, we're, we're sitting in sessions with all these moms And they're also talking about their moms, you know, and how their moms are struggling with um, their own uh, identities, uh, those boundaries. Um, Now my dad is retired and now they're at home all the time and they seem Mm -hmm. to be struggling a little bit. What is, you know, and so um, it kind of naturally became an extension of like, well, yeah, that is just as hard um, exiting active parenthood into uh, parenting adult children and kind of redefining that relationship when you become a grandmother and how are you going to fulfill this kind of next chapter of your life after motherhood identity is kind of um, taken a backseat, you know, not necessarily the forefront of your attention and your energy. And so we kind of looked at, you know, this is the kind of end caps, you know, the bookends of like becoming a mother and then empty nest being you know, again, kind of transitioning out of that active parenting life stage and still wanting to really honor um, who you are as a woman, Mm -hmm. who you are as a contributing person, you know, and then things like menopause, which are just as hormonally upsetting as a pregnancy, you know, (laughs) interrupt your life and feel like you're crazy and all these things that are like, help, can you just like, let me be human for a hot minute. And So um, we love what we do. The counselors here are incredible and we're all specialized in these areas and really thrilled to help the community however we can. Oh my gosh, I love it. There's so much to unpack right there. But first and foremost, where in California are you guys from? Oh yeah, so we lived in Fullerton, which is North Orange County. Okay, yeah. Um, 
outside of Los Angeles in Southern California. Yeah. So we came from California also, but we're from the Bay Area. So suburbs of San Francisco. Yeah. I didn't know you're a fellow Californian, but you've been here longer than me, obviously, because what year did you guys move? Yeah, we moved in 2013. So now this is definitely home. We feel like, you know, yeah, we had had two babies in Irvine, California and two babies out here. So now (laughs) we feel like our our roots are here. Our friends and family are here. And and now this is home. That's so nice. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you've been here for a decade. So I feel like that's kind of, yeah, I know we've been here for almost three years now. Okay. It it doesn't, it like doesn't feel that long, but it kind of does. It's so weird. We're like in that in between. (laughs) And COVID time doesn't count. It's like all warped and crazy. And it's it's like, I don't even know what day it is. So I know. I feel like we're still like clawing out of that haze of, and then we came here, we built a house for a year. So we really were just like, no idea what's happening. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. Let's start at the beginning. So when, um, a woman becomes a mom, what do you notice is like the hardest part? Because I think we all have kind of these notions of what's hard, but I feel like it hits you kind of like a truck and you're like, I wasn't expecting X, Y, and Z, but with all of your work and obviously your own experience also, what do you think is that biggest part of what just happened? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, such a good question. Well, you know, uh, um, a mom becomes a mom when, when the line turns pink. And I say that because your life is instantly interrupted, right? It's like, there's already, uh, there's already like changes you have to make, right? Like you start feeling sick, you don't feel great. You, you can't, you know, to a point, then you can't really hide it. You've got to start telling people. Um, and you, there's certain things you can't eat or drink, you know, it's like, there's, you can't go in a hot tub anymore. You know, it's like all these things that's like, okay, I already am starting to make selfless acts of, uh, putting this child first. And that, that kind of mentality, um, instantly changes your life, right? That it's like, okay, I'm getting a taste of laying down some freedoms that I now have to consider this other huge change in my life that's coming. Um, and so that is kind of a precursor for, you know, the number one thing I think is losing freedom, you know, that that is that autonomy of like, um, and I think it's pregnancy is kind of a good, you know, yeah, like a heads up, right, of like, hey, remember how you used to sit down and and you could bend over and pick up a pencil? Yeah, you can't do that anymore. You know, it's like, what? You know, like, um, this is interrupting your life. And now it's like, hey, remember how you used to be able to go to a movie at any time and uh, like leave the house without 12,000 bags of things? You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah, you can't do that anymore. Well, you it's know? so funny you say the movie example because I have Lem in my store. I get a lot of moms. We have the whole organic baby section and all that. And I oftentimes will say like, go see a movie with your husband before this baby comes because you don't realize that the only way you're going to go to a movie again is if you get a babysitter because you can't take a crying baby to the theater. You're not going to take a toddler that wants to run around. And then by the time you can go back, they're much older and you have to go see their movie. (laughs) You're like, right. That's right. Little things that you don't think about until afterwards. Yes. And I I know it's like super annoying. because I remember at the end of my pregnancy, people being like, make sure you sleep, make sure you read that book you want to read or, you know, whatever but it's also true. It's just- I know it's so hard. Yeah, it's, it is true, you know, and, and I think you just, um, 
but the beautiful thing is you don't, you also don't realize how much you'll want to do those things, you know, that it's like, we can imagine like, okay, I can no longer go out with my friends late at night. Like, okay, I get that. I'm willing to you know, have this baby and do this. I think the part we don't talk about is most of the time you won't want to, you'll want to stay home with your baby. And I think that is a surprising shift in like, oh, like I, and that's hard for some friends to understand if they don't have kids, you know, that's like, I actually kind of want to say, I actually want to go to bed early. I actually want to be with home with my baby. Um, and, and, but that's a hard mix, you know? And so, um, the tricky thing is too, with relationships, then, you know, since the mom has been making all these changes since day one, dads, on the other hand, um, generally don't take that leap until the baby is born, until the baby's in their arms. And so you'll have a lot of dads who are, you know, they're not, they're not uncaring. They're very willing, but they're like, I mean, do we have to do this now? Do we need yeah. to do, you know, like, um, what, what's the big thing with a baby moon? I don't know. You know, they're just yeah. like a little bit laid back about it because they, they're kind of like, uh, not in denial, but they don't quite get it. They haven't had to concede anything yet. They haven't had to make any changes in their life daily. And so then when the baby arrives, it can be pretty shocking for dads to be like, oh, wow, no, yeah, I'm here. It is we're, we're in it, you know? And so yeah. there can be a kind of a different pace to that uh, adaptation and adjustment. So that's why we encourage couples like come in before the conflict arrives, you know, like these are not problems, but we are seeing that, yep, we're going to need to make changes to our life. It's on the horizon. Let's talk about it now. Let's talk about it. So you can get the tools, the communication skills so that you can communicate effectively and not have to, you know, come to counseling with a screaming baby later, you know, wondering like, how did we end up here? You know? Um, and we're here for that too. I mean, and you're like sleep deprived. Yeah. Like everything's worse when you're not sleeping and you're not eating well. And oh my gosh, I know it's such a haze that especially that beginning part. Um, but it's interesting. You touched on relationships because I kind of forgot about the part where the baby comes. And if you're a lot of your friends don't have kids yet, they yeah. just don't get it. And then you're in this world of like the friends that do have kids and the friends that don't have kids. And it's really hard to navigate. And that I think is something that no one really talks about because we do focus so much on the pregnancy, the marriage and, you know, all that, but it can, it can be eye opening. It can end oh, friendships yeah. and friendships with, with babies. I mean, they all change a little bit, you know, and, and I think for new moms, one of the biggest things is, um, Suddenly we feel like as a new mom, you, you know, what matters in life, like babies tend to prioritize things very quickly for you. And then, you know, if your single friend comes over and is complaining about a dating app, you're kind of unsympathetic, you know, like instantly. You're like, like, my baby has a rash and I don't know what's wrong with my baby. And I could care less about what you're saying. Exactly. And it's just so, you know, upsetting to a friendship because it's like, we were just on the same page about all these things. And now, you know, she's sick of hearing about your baby and you're sick of hearing about her bad dates, you know? And and also I feel like when you have a baby, you're like, I have nothing to talk about. Right. What am I going to talk about? The nap time, the diet, like, you know, it's like you're you're isolated, you're in the zone, you're in survival mode. It is actually really boring for anyone else, unless they're also going through it at the same time. Um, It can also be tricky 
Like, I remember when I had my kids, I was super, I still am, but like super into like homemade organic baby food and like studying all the ingredients. And I was so mm-hmm. hardcore about it, um, you know, even more so then. And I would have friends that I had babies at the same time and they were not like that. And it wasn't, you know, like I was like mom shaming or oh, trying totally. to push my beliefs onto it's them. Different. But yep. it does get to a place where it's like, you know, they'll be like, well, just buy the jarred baby food. And you're like, no, right. I don't want to, <laughs> you know? So it can also cause friction because you have these friends that you were so close to in your single years or, you know, getting married and doing all the fun stuff. And then the baby comes and you have very different parenting styles or philosophies on life or health. Mm -hmm. And then it seeps in. And that's really hard too. Do you feel like a lot of women just end up losing friends during this period? You know, it, it kind of depends on the friends, you know, I do. I mean, I know that's kind of an opaque answer, but it's one of those things that's like, if we are entering in with any long-term relationship with like, hey, I'm here for it no matter what, and that you can just say like, like, I guess owning it, you know, like, hey, you know what? I'm a working mom. I'm not, I'm not going to make organic baby food. You know, it's like, okay, cool. Like, and then to be able to accept that without judgment, that we just have different styles and ways. And I'm a really big believer that everyone knows their kids their best, you know? And so yeah. if we can really give that grace um, of being able to encourage, like, and I love that you make your baby food. I love that you do that for your family. You know, it's like, and that we aren't putting this hierarchy on like, oh, she's a better mom because she made the cupcakes and I got mine at Publix for my kid's birthday. You know, it's like, yeah, we are all um, comparing all the time. And that's kind of the deadly part of social media, where if we can just take the sting out of that and build each other up so that we have our own security of like, I love that you made your cupcakes and I own it that I bought mine in Publix. You know, it's like, awesome. Then then your friendship can absolutely sustain those differences. But if you feel so insecure that you can't talk to your friend about it, then that is kind of a little red flag. That's like, are you good enough friends? You know, like um, if you can't even talk about the differences of um, this is what I think is right for my kid, not your kid, you know, and I think you're doing great for your kid, you know, and that, if you can't really agree on that, then yeah, there's probably going to be enough rub that you're going to find your own circle. You're going to find your own friends that do support you and you should, and that's okay. That's okay too. There are friendships that are friendships for a season. Mm -hmm. And then there are friendships that are friendships for a reason. And so that is okay to be able to be in different seasons of life and to be able to find the support that you need. And maybe they come back. You know, you never know when your kids enter in grade school and later on you cross paths and then you start becoming Pilates buddies, you know, or whatever. And it's like, okay, awesome. We're back. We just had, you know, a little um, uh, hiatus from our friendship through those hard years. And that's okay. It's so true. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about postpartum, Mm -hmm. um, like depression and issues, because I know that's such a hot topic. I remember when I had my youngest, I was having symptoms and I finally went to my gynecologist. I went to go see, um, I think it is like psychotherapist, right? It has to be someone that could prescribe medication. And after one session, she said to me, you don't have postpartum depression, but you have anxiety and extreme sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. And she said, those two things will literally mimic 
all the symptoms of postpartum depression. And I had never heard that before. I haven't heard it even since I was Mm. told this. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder how many women thought that they had postpartum depression, but it actually was this other thing. So could you explain to us the differences? What are the signs, whether it's we're going through it or a friend or a partner? Absolutely. So yes, um, there's a whole category called PMADS, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And so there is postpartum depression that's going to be you know, we've all heard about the baby blues and baby blues are like the two weeks following childbirth where your hormones are regulating, you're sleep deprived, you're crying a lot. All of that is fairly normal as your hormones adjust, as your milk comes in, as your prolactin and, you know, all the hormones are are regulating. And then we would like to see a normal shift towards progress of feeling more and more like yourself. That would be um, ideal, right? Textbook postpartum. If it gets worse after that, after in the three to four or plus zone and you're crying more or you're not eating enough or eating too much, not sleeping enough or sleeping too much, uh, won't let anybody else ever hold the baby or won't hold the baby ever yourself. You know, some of these extremes, those are kind of some of those, you know, yellow flags, red flags for, uh, postpartum depression that we would want you to get in and get assessed. And, um, and then the other side of that is postpartum anxiety. So postpartum anxiety is talked about less, but, and they mimic each other a little bit, but depression is going to be, as you would imagine, more on the sad, like, um, unmotivated, um, can't quite get the, you know, motivation to want to bond with the baby as well, not really taking care of yourself as much. Postpartum anxiety shows up on the other extreme, which is going to be, I'm not even sleeping when the baby is sleeping because I'm so worried about the baby. I'm worried about, you know, are they staying alive? Are they, are they breathing? You know, I, I need to watch the monitor. I need to be the only one to hold the baby. I need to change the baby, you know, kind of this like overexertion, which can also lead into postpartum OCD, which is another diagnosis that gets often overlooked um, as either anxiety or depression, mostly because the the provider is unaware that that's even a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, Sleep deprivation is obviously very common for all new parents. And the thing is when sleep deprivation is really bad. So we're talking about, you know, if you're two hours a night for many nights in a row or, um, or 48 hours on basically no sleep or beyond that. Now we're looking at, you know, that kind of insomnia or, um, really hyper vigilance is it does mimic anxiety. In fact, if it's so severe that we need to get you hospitalized because like there just is no sleeping, the very first thing they will do is put you to sleep because we can't even assess for what is anxiety and what is sleep deprivation because they show up the same. So then when I can see you on a good night's sleep, okay, you've slept, we woke up, we've eliminated the sleep deprivation. Now, how much anxiety do you have? Now, how do you feel? And the majority of the time we will find you feel better. You feel significantly better, well, right? Isn't like keeping someone from sleeping a form of torture, like it literally Absolutely. Is used as a form of yes. torture. Punishment. I, yes. Yeah. And I remember, cause I had my, my two youngest are less than two years apart. 
And this, mm-hmm. this is the kind of stuff that like no one talks about. No one even asked me about afterwards when I was struggling, but they were on different nap schedules. Yeah. My baby would not sleep through the night. I would finally get him to sleep at like 4 a.m. Then the other one would wake up at like 5 a.m. Yes. And he was yeah. mo- ready, ready, mommy, let's go. Yep. And the other one had just fallen asleep. And I was in this like crazy cycle and I was the one doing all the pumping. And then I had to go back to work at four months. And by the time I went to go see this person, it was like five months postpartum. Yeah, right. And she was like, you need to sleep. And I was yeah. like, how? Because I'm up all night and then I have to yep. go to work and I work out before I go to work. And she was like, no working out. No, nope. not, like any free time you have, you're sleeping. Yes. And it was like, I've never thought that someone would tell me like, don't work out, you know? Like, right. No, but it's, so... it was like that severe where she was like, no, yep. no, 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 no. You have to stop all activity and find time to sleep. Yes. It's that vital. I mean, it it's like saying like, I'm not going to drink water ever. You know, it's like, no, no, your body requires hydration. Like you can't live without it. Um, yeah. And it, and you know, our culture does such a disservice. That's like the frazzled, stressed out, tired mom is doing it right. You know? Yeah. And it's like, no, we need to start questioning yeah. that. It's like, well, and I also think like yep. we've normalized it where it's like yeah. me waking up early to work out before I do my commute to the office. And then I come back and I've got my three kids. It, did it, it like, it looks like I have it figured out like right. way to go. Right. You know, let's give you a gold star, uh-huh. which kind of, it was, I was getting the gold star from society of like, Oh my gosh, your body's coming back. You're handling the household. You're making organic baby food. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you're doing it all. But I literally was losing my mind. I was going back and forth between maybe I shouldn't work, but I do work. I don't know. I do want to work. And I was felt like I was going crazy. Absolutely. That's what it will do to you, you know, and you have to be able to readjust like what is productivity because sleep could be the most productive thing you do for yourself. And sleep science tells us that a minimum of five consecutive hours of sleep is required for the human brain to even like function well, you know, like that's, that's when finally the toxins get flushed out. That's when enough of the REM has processed, you know? And so it's like, you need a five. And again, we're, we're, we need, it's not that much, but when you are in it like that, five hours seems impossible. Right. And it usually requires cutting out a feeding or asking someone else to feed your baby in the middle of that, at least early on, which that in and of itself feels like a huge feat to overcome that. Like, especially if you're breastfeeding, like, well, how am I going to do that? Who's going to, I need to be able to delegate and be okay with hearing the baby cry maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and having my husband be a little frustrated with trying to feed the baby and not being mom, you know, So there's a lot of ripple effects to this. Um, But if we know ahead of time, you know, like, hey, this is going to this is going to require some endurance, some distress tolerance, you know, and there will be a day where you will want to work out and can and can fit that in because your body has the overflow, the energy to be able to sustain that. But if you're working out a body that is needing sleep. Yeah. you honestly will end up gaining weight sometimes because yeah. the, the body is trying to so desperately hold on to everything it needs to just be able to function that right. it kind of, this is where we get a lot of frustrated moms who are like, Oh, this baby weight, you know? And I'm like, are you sleeping? Are you feeding yourself? Are uh-huh. you drinking enough? You know, it's like, 
And almost always one of those boxes goes unchecked. That's so true. I've also seen you say a lot about birth trauma. What is that? Yeah. So we have a lot of labor and delivery expectations, right? There's definitely this trend, you know, over the last several, several years of planning your birth, a birth plan, you know, being able to advocate for yourself, which I'm a huge fan of, love that. Also, we want to be careful that our ideal birth is um, held loosely with also the advocacy of what is okay and not okay for me, my body, my baby. And I say that because, you know, if we draw really hard lines in the sand, then it makes it very difficult if medically you need to change your plan. (laughs) And emotionally, that can be really devastating. So, Birth trauma is one of those things that um, it we don't get to decide what trauma is for someone, you know. So, um, birth trauma could be I wanted a natural birth and I ended up with a C-section, mm-hmm. and everybody's healthy and everything went okay according to like medical paperwork, but it wasn't what I wanted, and I'm devastated and I'm disappointed and I'm sad and I'm grieving the loss of that natural birth. That can be traumatic to a woman. It also could swing all the way to, we thought the baby was going to die. We thought mom was going to die, you know? And so where, you know, I would say the majority of people would look at that narrative and be like, oh yeah, that's traumatic, you know? And that's a little easier for people to be like, yeah, the alarm bells were going off. The, you know, blood transfusion came in, you know, all these things that are scary for even the providers that are there. Um, And so there's a lot to work through there, you know, and then there's also sometimes trauma of just discrimination of how someone was treated, um, that everything maybe went according to birth plan, but the people who were supposed to be trustworthy were putting you down or dismissive Mm -hmm. or not there for you and unsupportive. And so that can also be um, an overlooked trauma that a lot of times everyone in your support circle, your friends and family are like, aren't you so glad you came home with a healthy baby? Like Mm -hmm. that just shouldn't matter, you know? And so you'll get a lot of this kind of dismissive. They're trying to be supportive and show you the positive, but it can be really discouraging when you're like, I just can't get over this. I Mm -hmm. can't get over this one part of what happened. So we would definitely invite you to explore that to grieve that, to acknowledge that so that you can rewrite that narrative and move on feeling empowered. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate because our medical system is just so not great. And they look at pregnancy and having a baby as like a condition and it's like, it's natural and we could have better support. I mean, I just think like the nurse does everything. The doctor just comes in and grabs the baby. And like, I don't even understand that. And then even the nurse goes and does paperwork for a while. And you're like, who's here with me? Yeah. Like, yes. Wild. So I, I think there's so much room for that level of like trauma that you were talking about, where it could be from over here all the way to we almost died. And yeah. it's really scary. I did make a birth plan yeah. and I was one of those people that like read all the books and I had done totally. all my and I was mostly scared of the hospital. I was like, I'm mm-hmm. scared of them messing up right. and like ruining my body or doing something to my baby. Like I was just thinking of all the bad scenarios. And like you said, a a lot of it goes out the window, but it is good to be knowledgeable going into it where you can, you know, where you could literally say for yourself, no, 
or I need a different nurse or, you know, whatever. Absolutely advocating. And I, I get so many that like, feel like they can't switch OBs, you know, that they're like, I don't like my I to them somehow. I yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm like, uh, you can change doctors, you know, and they're like, I can, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, absolutely. And so just, just some of that language and dialogue of like, did you know you can ask for this? Did you know you could do that? Totally. You know, like, let's look into that and research it a little bit. And, and then, you know, we have so many resources in the community and everywhere that we, we have an office that, will connect you to somebody else who is able to be able to, you know, here's the list of OBs. What kind of doula are you looking for? Um, Do you need a lactation consultant afterward? Are you looking for a night nurse? You know, there's all kinds of help out there. Uh, A pelvic floor therapist, you know, I mean, there's things that women don't even know exist. Um, I didn't know most of that. Like I, I thought the baby would come and would just latch. I was yes. like, oh, no, no one said. Well, it's I actually supposed to happen naturally, right? Breast- yeah. Yeah. I actually couldn't breastfeed my children because they couldn't latch properly, but I had so much milk that mm-hmm. I ended up becoming an exclusive pumper and yeah. I would pump yeah. all their bottles, but they're, they have everything for if you're breastfeeding or if you go formula, not in the middle. And I was right. so alone in it and I would have all this overproduction of milk. And I remember like when you were just saying, you know, you might have to cut a feeding out to get the sleep but no one explains how to do that when you have that much milk coming in. Cause I was producing at least double for each feeding because I was freezing it all, which was great. But again, there's no one like, okay, but you're not able to sleep because you're leaking all over the place. Exactly. Exactly. And it's hard to talk about because you hear about the women who are struggling to produce at all, like that undersupply you hear a lot about. But yes, that oversupply and then the risk of mastitis and clogged yeah. ducts and all those things that are so uncomfortable, you know, and it's like you you get dismissed as like, well, that's a good problem to have, you know, it's like, but it exactly. is a problem and it's very painful. So yeah, yeah, exactly. You get all the positive, like, oh, that's good. And it's like, okay, but I can't sleep more than two yeah. hours because then exactly. I wake up in a puddle of milk. Yep. And yeah, so it is things like that for sure. Um what about, well, okay, no, I wanted to talk about, I often think about this, how like in the 1950s, for example, primarily women were at home, not working and men were working. Things just seemed so much better back then. And mostly <laughs> yeah. I think of this, cause I remember when I had my first, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have four months off. I get to catch up with my friends and I get to hang out with my mom and see my family. And then I realized yeah. everyone's working. Right. Right. Work your baby vacation. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I was like, I'm alone. And I'm like, how nice was it back then where women were there to support each other? Your mom was not working. Your grandmother was not working. Your aunt, your sister, your friends, and everyone lived close to each other. And it was, I would just imagine that people would just come help or cook some food. And it was just like, yeah. And I think there was housekeepers and there was cooks and there was hairdressers, you know, that like, would rally around you. It was okay if you you know, brought your baby out in public. Cause I mean, for better or for worse, they didn't worry about germs, you know, it mm-hmm. was like just instantly kind of out and about. Um, there, there was a lot of community and normalization and life was slower. You know, it was like, it was okay to not be stressed out and rushing around. That wasn't really a thing. Um, and you weren't worried about, yeah, that maternity leave and, and, oh no, are they going to find out I'm not needed at my job? Is there still a job there when I come back? And like 
all those stressors. And you're right, almost all mothers these days, many are working women, even if it's from home or a side hustle or volunteering somewhere else, you know. And so we've we've really overcommitted ourselves a lot and undervalued how much we need each other. Yeah. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're so isolated because yeah. so many people do work, even if it is part-time or whatever, like you said. Yep. I, I can't like I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom because I didn't yeah. want to sit at home alone all day long. But then I also struggled with going back to work and missing my children and it, it was horrible. Like yeah, it was all unfair, right? Constant. Yeah. yeah. So e- overall, I'm like, we, our generation got the short end of the stick and hopefully we can kind of balance out for the next generation. But that does seem to bring a lot of like these issues where it's like women don't feel supported and they're alone and this and that, and they're sad and anxious and depressed. And it's like, would we be though, if we had more balance and each other, and like you said, slow pace, I don't know. It just, right. Right. I mean, yeah. Who's to know, you know, it's one of those things that's like, it wasn't that perinatal mood disorders didn't (laughs) occur back then. You know, I definitely love that. Now we have the freedom to speak openly like this about the hardship I get a lot of, you know, that generation of mothers saying, well, we just didn't have that. We just had to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we just made it happen, you know, and it's kind of like, but you shouldn't have had to do that. You know, it's like you shouldn't have had to hide crying. You know, you shouldn't have had to hide some of the hardship and emotions. So we know that still existed. But what I do see and I'm optimistic about is the rise of the dads you know, and being able to, you're right. It's like, we all then went back to work, but dads didn't change at all. And so we did everything. Moms did absolutely everything plus working and all the things. And I feel like finally we're seeing this shift of like, well, if we're both working (laughs) full time, Mm -hmm. then we both are parenting full time. Yeah. And that gives me hope to be able to, you know, and I see dads in my office that are they're willing, they're just unknowing, you know, they're unaware. And and so when we start to shed light on some of these, you know, invisible jobs of motherhood and being able to say like, you know, do you know when the baby's next pediatric appointment is? And he's like, I don't even know the name of the pediatrician. You know, it's like, (laughs) okay, like let's start there and, and bring some balance to that, which also requires the mom to be able to say, okay, we, I'm willing to share this, you know, I'm willing to delegate some of these things. I'm willing to let him figure out his style of being able to, to soothe the baby, you know, and it may be different than how I do that. And that's a good thing. And so I, that does give me hope to kind of, okay, part of this community is also dads seeing other dads do these things Mm -hmm. and encouraging each other. And also us not just hailing him as the hero every time he like does a dad task. It's like, okay, like you, you folded the laundry. We're not throwing a parade. Okay. It's like, we have been doing that for centuries. So yeah, we just need to bring I know. I think it's like finding that balance. Yep. Like we really want to be more in the middle somewhere. Yes, exactly. Because I love having my business and now having this podcast, like doing all these other things, like you said early on keeping your identity. Cause that's when the empty nesters come in where they're like, 
who am I now that I'm, you're still mom, obviously, but not to that level because they're adults. They're off doing their own thing. They're probably not even living at home. And so, yeah, there is that balance of like, I still want to be me, but having that support and that balance and not being like basically ground to the, you know, a pulse, everything that we're doing. I mean, that was part of the reason why I left corporate to start lemon was because I was like, I just, I don't want to commute. I don't want to do long hours. My babies come first. And I think most moms are like making that decision now, or even if you're going to make less money or you're going to, you know, be part-time instead of full-time who cares because we're losing our minds. That's right. And that's why I love, you know, yes, I, I founded readiness counseling and, and part of it was to be able to set my own hours and my own budget and to be able to be the one that picks my kids up from school, you know? And so the majority, not all, but the majority of our counselors are also working moms, you know? And so we're able to support that in just being a female founded and a mom, you know, uh, uh, accommodating, I guess, like um, lifestyle and being able to keep their self-care a priority because we really want to practice what we preach. You know, it's like, we really believe in high quality care. So we have to be able to take care of ourselves first in order to do that. I love that. So true. So true. Okay. So I feel like parenting goes in four stages. I feel like you got the baby toddler stage. You got the stage that you and I are in with the kids, school, sports, that sort of thing. And then you got the teenage years. Yeah. And then you got the empty nester and beyond where they're adults. Yeah. Is that kind of how you look at it? I'm so let's talk about the stage you and I are in with the kids. Sure. I am in the stage now this year where I'm like, I'm saying yes to everything because I feel like in 10 years, my youngest is going to be 17 and then that's it. Like it's over. Right. Right. So right. I am like, I'm room mom to one kid, another kid. I'm coaching the basketball team. I'm yes, saying yes to all the volunteer options at school, even if it's like something silly for 10 minutes, I'm going to hand out, you know, goodie bags or whatever. Awesome. I, I feel this stress of like, it's slipping away mm-hmm. and I want to be at every sports thing and every, and, and it's to the point where my husband's like, you need to say no, like right. you can't say yes <laughs> to anything else. You know, like I, I want to plan all the neighborhood events. Cause I want to do all the things with the kids. And it's like, I can't, I can't do it all. Right. So is this what you see at this period. And it's, it is crazy busy. I mean, with, I don't know about you with your four girls, but with my three boys, I am going from sports to sports, to sports every single evening, back to back to back. And it does feel a little crazy. Yeah, it definitely can. I mean, I do think, you know, we, we live in a city where there's a lot of wonderful opportunities. Um, and that is hard to say no to, because, you know, and I know not every community offers as, as much or, um, can provide as much, but I, you know, every kid is different and you, we can overcommit so easily. So, you know, I think it's, I don't want to say like what you should say yes or no to certainly that's so individual, but we can burn out really quickly. Right. And we don't want to, um, miss it. And, you know, it's like the more it's about commuting and scheduling, then am I actually being capable? Do I have the capacity to be present when I'm actually at the event? Right. So it's one thing to be like, yeah, I'll drop off the snacks, but like, am I taking a hot second to like take a photo of my child's smile when they open that little goodie bag, you know, like that's what we're doing it for. Right. And so I do, I'm a big believer that like, you know, if you're saying 
yes to one thing, you are saying no to something else. If you're saying no to something, you are saying yes to something else. And so don't look at it as like, I'm saying no to being the room mom. You can be like, I'm saying yes to taking my kids to the library instead, you know, or whatever that is like, or I'm saying yes to working out in the morning for me, because that makes me a better human all around, you know, when, which trickles yeah. down into then having more capacity to be present and hundred percent when I'm with my kids. Right. So again, every season is going to be a little different. Um, and we get to choose, pick and choose some of those things. And then there's going to be times where it's just demanded of us that it's just so busy and, you know, every kid's interest is different and that requires different Saturdays and commutes and, you know, things like that. So busy. It's so busy. But I also think stepping back and saying, okay, trying to see me through my child's eyes and who am I modeling for them? You know, am I modeling a frazzled mom who is not giving myself any self-care at all, who isn't connecting with her husband ever, who isn't able to sit down and enjoy a hot meal. You know, it's like, okay, what are the things I care about? And I don't think the things I care about need to be the things they care about, but it's more that like, oh, I see that my mom has things she cares about that are important to her. And it's not always about me. And I think that's a positive value to teach our child. And so there's some times where, you know, uh, my girl will walk up and I'm working on, you know, something for, for emailing a client back or whatever. Right. And she'll be like, can you get me more juice? You know? And it's like, I can, but also you can, you can get you juice and you can't, nobody else can email this client back. Right. So it's like, I think, you know, as a working mom, it's sort of like, I, you have to start to be able to separate out, like, what are the things only I can do only me as their mom can do. So if there are times where it's like, you know what, this other kid's mom offered to carpool my kids. Yeah. That would be really helpful. I'm going to say yes to that. Totally. And then I'm going to be, you know, knock this out so I can be a hundred percent present when I pick them up later, you know? So there's things like that where it's like, um, saying yes to everything, you know, are, are you able to say yes to yourself sometimes as well? Yeah. And I feel like there's so much emphasis on the baby toddler stage and the teen stage that the kid stage gets ignored. And obviously the teen stage can be hard with them getting independence and hormones and all that, even though I feel like I was a great teenager. So I'm hoping my, (laughs) I was super chill, but yeah, but a lot of times they're not. And you have to think about talking about like sex and drugs and, you know, all the things. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And then obviously the baby stuff is what it is. It's like the kid stuff gets ignored and then it gets yeah. confusing for us. Cause we're like, no one talks about this. I don't know what I'm doing necessarily. I think what also hits me hard is, you know, we all know after the age of five, they, they have, they're going to remember things where right. at least when they were little, I was like, I'm working, but like they're napping. Right. And they're they're fine. Up, and yeah. then they're going to nap again. Like, yeah. who, you know, like who cares? They're not going to remember, you know? So I felt like I kind of justified it in my head where now I'm like, they're going to remember this is their childhood. Absolutely I want it to right. be perfect. But also, like you said, you don't want to be like this, like helicopter mom where you're like, okay, I got your juice. Okay. I got this. Let me drop everything. Right. And, which also isn't good for them. But that also is our generation where we are making like yep. these soft 
whiny kids. And I'm right, like, right. let's, let's again, find somewhere in the middle where like they yeah. are nurtured and loved and have this beautiful childhood, but they also were prepping them for real life. That's right. And that, that's that right. seems to be the challenge where you're going from my cute little baby to then at some point you're going to be a teenager slash adult. Yep. And I have yeah. to foster that. It's tricky. You know, we, I think I say a lot of times like, all right, try to problem solve, try to problem solve. You know, it's like, I want this. I can't, she won't give me this. And I want to play with that. You know, all these whiny kids, you know, and it's like, all right, is this a solvable problem? Can we problem solve this? Like, and to just give them a minute, because so many times it's also out of like boredom and they're like, I'm bored or I want a snack or whatever. And honestly, that's just kind of tolerance for us to be able to say, like, I think, you know, boredom is the precursor to creativity. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if you just, just give it a minute, here's some markers and go find that cardboard box, that Amazon box over there. Now go to town, you know, and it's like, all right, just make them, you know, not suffer, but like, just get, give that endurance a little bit of time, you know, to be like, yeah, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And then something beautiful could blossom out of that. And suddenly they've drawn a rocket ship and they're playing, you know? And yeah. so it's- and then they can also make their own decision instead of you yes. directing them all the time. It's like, wh- I don't know what that does as they get older. That can't be good. But yeah, let's them be, you know, creative, imagine all of a sudden they're outside shooting fake guns and running circles right, around the right. house. And you're like, whatever, you guys made up a game. Cool. Like, yes, exactly. Well, it should be. I know. I'm yep. so with you. One thing that also helped me when I was struggling early on was I do my schedules for the day and then I highlight. So if it's work, it's yellow. If it's kids, it's pink, et cetera. And then you can see like, oh my gosh, I'm spending all my time on work or like too much time. And then you have to balance it or, okay, I'm doing a lot for the kids. There's no self-care. And then again, you can balance it. Cause I think I'm a visual person. So I love that blocking helps. Yeah. That's great. So that I did that, gosh, years ago. And it has like, it's the only reason I have a successful business and have three kids. There's only reason because right? I lost yes. my mind years, especially when COVID hit. And then we moved across country. There's no way I, it would have all fallen apart if I didn't do it that way. Good for you. Um, I love that visual. Yeah. It helps a lot. Um, okay. So let's talk about empty nesters. What are some of the challenges you, you see? I imagine you just don't know what to do with your time. Like I literally imagine like how much I do with three boys and if all three of them were gone to college or beyond, and then I'm, what do I do? Like, yeah. I- <laughs> yeah, I do think there's a lot of spinning wheels, you know, especially if, um, if they're retired or haven't worked and are not going back to the workforce, you know? Um, and I do think there is a beautiful moment of self rediscovery that's like, when is the last time someone asked you your favorite color? You know, like wow. it's probably been decades, you know, it's like, um, what is your favorite movie? And, and what are you interested in? Like, did you, do you know about podcasts and have you found one about it? You know, it's like, there's just so many little things that I think they haven't been extended the time and energy to be able to explore their own interests so we get a lot of women, you know, in their their late 40s, 50s, early 60s that are just like, I don't know. I don't know what I like. I don't know what I prefer, you know? So some of that is just simple inventory of like, I'll encourage them to like, go get three magazines 
and a, and a Sharpie mm-hmm. and just like tear through it and, and circle things that are, you're drawn to that you love yeah. that resonate with you. And it sounds so shallow, but it's like, if we can't decide like, Oh, what's it, what's your greatest purpose in this season? If you don't even know what color lipstick you like, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, like just do you girl. And like start exploring like, yeah, why do I like that color? Why do I love that movie? How does that make me feel? And then taking inventory externally of like, who are the friends in your life? Are you connecting? Um, Community is huge. We know community and connection are one of the number one factors of just longevity and happiness. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, now that we know some of the things that you're interested in, is this a thing, you know, like, is there a pickleball that you could get, you know, connected to? Is there a Bible study that you're interested in? Is there, you know, now that we kind of see where your interests are, how do we find that common ground to connect you to other people who are interested in that as well? And then of course, if they're, if they're married, you know, like finding some of that connection in that relationship as well, because I think they need to rediscover each other in a sense. It's like, who are we? What is our new identity post active parenting mm-hmm. and being able to kind of give them some communication tools to be able to make the most of that as well. Gosh, so true. I feel like some of that, like learning about yourself also happens at our stage because oh, yes. you come out of that baby toddler preschool fog And then, and I see this often with moms where like, they're just wearing the same black leggings and black sweatshirt every single day. And I'm like, I know that that's your uniform and you're comfortable, but I also know you want to dress, you want to have style, you, you know, you crave that, but you don't know where to start. And it's the same idea. Like you said, open a magazine. Do you like those jeans? Do you like that lipstick shade? Do you like that sweatshirt? I get this at lemon too. People be like, oh my gosh, you look so cute all the time. And I'm like, well, half the stuff is from the store. So that makes it easy. I'm always getting (laughs) new stuff, but it is being mindful of like, I'm getting dressed for the day. Even if all I'm doing is being mom, I'm getting dressed for the day. And I do think like when the kids go to school and you have a little more free time, that kind of seeps in where you're like, okay, who am I? Like you said, and then obviously even more when they leave the house but it is interesting with the marriage piece. I feel like a lot of times it's parenting over here and marriage over here when I feel like the two are so intertwined and it Absolutely. does irritate me that a lot of times it is so separate where I'm like, okay, hold on. We can't talk about this without talking about this over here because they go so hand in hand. And that does include sex and having that yeah. strong bond and you know, friendships outside of the marriage and all these things that kind of come in and like, you know, our parents and our in-laws coming in and like all the things, it's like one big mixing pot. How do you handle that at your practice? And what are like the biggest challenges you see that if someone's listening, you could say that could be like, maybe like an aha moment or something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to be able to, again, kind of see yourselves through your child's eyes And be able to have kind of this value system for your family. That's like, what are we doing here? What are we showing them? You know, and I think a lot of that is, you know, showing them how we treat each other. And it it really is proof of like their own worthiness, you know, that like how I talk to your dad and how he talks to me is how I want you to interact with grownups in your life when you're a grownup, you know, and like, 
how how you see me interact with others and how I expect to be treated, um, how I talk about my coworkers and how I treat my employees, you know, some of these things, it's like, it's, it's a mu- so much bigger than just ourselves, right? And so I do think dedicating time for that, you know, that you have to be intentional and it may, um, again, cause disruption for a whiny kid, but it's like, one of those things that like a really common one is, no, we have a value of always eating dinner all together as a family at the table. Fantastic. How does that go? You know? And it's like, um, if that works for you, awesome. Also, I would imagine like most households, there's going to be a couple nights where, you know, they're not going to want to eat what you eat there. You know, they ate a late snack, so they're not hungry you're getting home late or you had a late lunch or whatever, you know, and it just doesn't fit, you know? And so can we shake up that system a little bit to where it's like, you know what? One night a week, we feed the kids, they go watch a movie and we have, uh, you know, spicy tacos that they won't eat. And we have it one-on-one and we crack open a bottle of wine and they don't interrupt us. And they know that, you know, and it's like, okay, because, if, if we're really rigid with like, this is how this value looks, then it's much harder to achieve. But if we can kind of look at the umbrella value of, we know we're heard, we love each other, we're putting each other first, mom and dad deserve time to talk to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important, you know, that that now the goal of, of achieving that value could be met in a lot of creative ways, right? And so- yeah. I would just say like the value of what you're trying to accomplish is, is excellent. How you're executing it may be a little too rigid. Can we explore that in other ways, which could invite time that's like, you know what, it is okay to tell my kids no and be creative and feed them early and then just have dinner with my husband. And that still seems to fall under the same values of our home that we're all trying to attain. So true. And I feel like it's always changing. Like maybe doing date nights all the time works for a season and then it yeah. doesn't work for another season. Absolutely. Like yes. you said, like you might be at sports every day and you're like, when yes. are we going to go on a date? Yes. Yeah. Like doing like a home date or whatever. One thing me and my husband did when I started my business that I think is helpful in general, even if you don't have a business is we have business meetings. So we'll get together. We try to do once a week. It doesn't always happen, but we get together and we, sit down and go through all the boring stuff, bills, numbers, taxes, what, I mean, especially when you have a business, obviously it's like never ending. And then we don't do that stuff when it's date night. We don't do that stuff when we have alone romantic time. We don't, you know, we don't do that stuff in front of the kids either. Cause I don't like talking about maybe possibly stressful topics in front of the kids. Cause then they're like, what are you talking about? What's wrong? Or what's that number mean? Or exactly. It can be stressful. Right. And you're like, this is not kid conversation, but I still have to have this conversation, but it's also not romantic. And it really does put this like a bunch of gray areas. So it can be, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but I think you're right. You just have to find a balance. You have to find a routine that works and not like let your marriage becomes secondary to parenthood. And, and and that's hard because obviously you're like the kids come first and like we have to do all these things. We're all in it together. Right. But when you have that partnership, that teamwork, I mean, that's kind of the goal, right. To be able to 
represent that. And then we're all headed towards the same goal together as a family. And your kids then aren't interrupting that or getting in the way. They're actually contributing to it. Yeah. It's so true. Oh my gosh. I love it. I feel like we could talk forever. I could ask I would you love 500 to. I million to. questions. We might need to do like a part two at some point yes. after the holidays. That'd be I, fun. Let's do it. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. So tell everyone, where can they find you? Where can they find your businesses? All the things. Yes. Thank you. Follow us at ready nest counseling at empty nest counseling. And you can go to our websites, readinesscounseling.com and emptinesscounseling.com. Oh my gosh. I love it. All the things. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so glad we got to do this and I hope we get to do it again. Yes.